to John, the fifth chapter. Hello. Verses 19 through 30. I don't know, I kind of like that. Uh, as you're turning, uh, I wanted to tell you a wife-approved joke. Um, I, I run them through her. Uh, one of the things that I want to promise you this, uh, for this year is that if you decide to bring a friend to a church service, I will preach a sermon that will not disappoint. But in that regard, uh, I was thinking about a pastor, a story about a pastor I heard one time. It was after church, and uh, the pastor and his wife had gotten home, and uh, the pastor noticed that uh, the wife had taken an egg from the cupboard and was heading to the bedroom with it. And he was kind of surprised, so he followed her. And he noticed that she pulled out a shoebox. She opened it up, and there was four eggs in there, and she put a fifth egg in. And there was some money in there, too. And she said, uh, honey, uh, what's with the eggs? Why, why do you have eggs under the bed? And she says, well, I have to confess that every time you preach a bad sermon, I put an egg in the box. <laughs> and the pastor got to thinking, well, you know, I've been preaching a long time, so five eggs isn't so bad. But honey, what's with the $1,000? She said, well, every time I made a dozen, I sold it. I'll try not to be that pastor. John, the fifth chapter, verses 19 through 30. Then Jesus replied, I assure you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does these things in the same way. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than those, than these, so that you will be amazed. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to anyone he wants to. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. I assure you, an hour is coming, and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. May God add a blessing to the reading of his most precious word today. I think I've shared this story with some of you, but when I was a baby... Back in the, the late 1950s, I was laid down in a crib in the nursery at Oak Forest Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi, where I am from. As I grew up, I went to the Sunday school and church services until the age of 11, when all that I had been hearing for the first time in my life finally clicked in my head 
like entering a dark room and turning on a light bulb. I realized that all the things I'd been hearing from the pulpit and in my Sunday school were about me, that I needed the Savior. And so at the next church service at the invitation, I walked up the aisle and told my pastor, Tom Hudson, that I wanted to accept Jesus in my heart. Brother Tom came to my house the next day and uh, talked to me about it, and uh, he, uh, he showed me the Romans Road. Now, I have to admit that I was a boy's boy. If, if something was broken in the church, eh, I probably broke it. If, uh, if, if, something, if something was loud and obnoxious, eh, I probably did it. And uh, for my pastor, for me to accept Jesus was a bit of a surprise. I guess I'd been written off as one of those boys that would just be a, a, a tender of church, but never a receiver of Christ. And that happens, you know, in our southern traditions and culture. Uh, but uh, Father Tom, uh, Brother Tom, excuse me, came to my house after school on Monday and led me through the verses in Romans, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And as I grew up after graduating high school, I joined the U.S. Navy, and I met so many young sailors who had never attended church, never heard about Jesus except in a negative light, and they had little hope for their future spiritually. It was then that I felt God's calling to go into Baptist ministry. I got my education and my pastoral experience and then joined the Army Chaplain Corps. I ministered 20 years as an Army pastor, retired and became a hospice chaplain. I now volunteer with hospice, the veterans of foreign wars. I support my local church and I work for you. Looking back, I know that God directed me, but it would have been much harder if my local denomination had been anything but Baptist. In Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 18 through 20, and most of you know this as the Great Commission, then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I was first a sailor though, and I traveled all over the world as a sailor and feeling God's call on my life, I got to see our international mission board missionaries in action. From Italy to Spain, from South and Central America, from the Philippines, Hawaii, South Korea, Hong Kong and China, I met some of the most wonderful Christian leaders and they put a human face on what God was calling me to do. And by that I meant, when I felt God's calling on my life, I said, huh, not me, can't be me. No way I can do this. No way am I up for this. No way am I talented enough to do what you want me to do, God. And as I met these foreign missionaries, they, get, they showed me that, yeah, you can. Not you, God is going to do it. You're just going to be along for the ride. And I followed him. I've never regretted it. And I stand here before you today as a testimony to what our Baptist missionaries and ministers do. Did you know that our most recent statistics reveal that we have 47,000 churches in our denomination and we have 13 million members? That God used us to baptize 
over 150,000 new Christians last year, that through your generous giving, we support almost 10,000 missionaries currently in the field. We trained over 25,000 seminary students, and they have graduated to serve God. I want you to know that when I went through Golden Gate Seminary, when it was in Mill Valley, California, it's now Gateway Seminary, but when I went through Golden Gate Seminary, there's no way that I personally could have afforded a Baptist education at that seminary. The actual cost of that seminary was almost as much as going to Harvard was back then. But because of your generous donations to the, the mission funds, uh, my uh, college and my Baptist uh, uh, master's education was paid for. And all I had to do was pay for a, a small amount. And so, as one of those graduates, I want to say thank you very much. Your money does mean quite a bit. We trained over 25,000 seminary students. Our churches gave over $9 billion to support Baptist ministries. Let me say that again, $9 billion to support our ministries. Uh, I'm a Red Cross volunteer chaplain as well. And uh, I've worked with our disaster relief uh, ministers. Uh, when fires come through here or when hurricanes happen uh, in uh, various parts of the world, our disaster relief ministers are there. And they've helped over 300,000 needy people last year. And they've accounted for over 700 professions of faith. And now, as our new year is starting as Baptists facing 2021, I can tell you that this year might prove to be one of the most challenging years we've ever had to endure. I was shocked to hear about some of the things that's happened in our world this last year. Things that, when I was a child, would have never happened. But many of you know that there's a new wave of anti-Semitism brewing across this country. And this hatred does not come from criticizing the state of Israel's policies and actions, with several open calls for the death of Jews and the virally spreading slogan at, at pro-Palestine protest, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, suggesting Jewish genocide in the region, it becomes clear that Jewish hatred is a flame far beyond the criticism of the state of Israel. And I want to remind each and every one of you that we as Christians cannot be anti-Semitic. When you read in Genesis, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 3, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make upon you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So when I say, if you're thinking about going to a, a Palestine rally that is against Israel, think again. Stay home. We as Baptists are facing political turmoil this year. No one knows what is going to happen, but we have seen over and over again that the members of the press that are responsible for telling us what's going on in the world will lie to us to the point that I personally do not believe anything that they tell me. 
But I hear from a great many of my fellow Christians that are stirred up and upset at what they've been told. And I would recommend to you not to let yourself be angry and do not let your Christian witness be compromised. Instead, remember today's passage that we can accomplish nothing on our own. For most of us, that is a hard thing to hear. We look around us today and we say, what do you mean we can do nothing? We look at this vast world that we live in and we see all the results of what man has done. We see the things that the industrial revolution and the technological revolution along with the explosion of man's knowledge have birthed under our world. And I thank God for our modern conveniences. When I was stationed with the 49th engineers at Fort Rucker, Alabama, Hurricane Andrew had gone through the Tampa, Miami area and it just wreaked havoc. And so it was our job as engineers and I was their chaplain to go along with them and open up all those clogged roads so that uh, people could get in there and help the people that were remaining that had not evacuated. And I drove through devastation that I never believed I would ever see in my life. I saw an ocean-going boat three miles ashore. The surge was so bad that it snapped this boat off of its moorings and flushed it into the, the middle of Florida. And this boat was sitting on its side. That was the first thing that struck me. And my understanding was they had to take the boat apart to get it out of there. Uh, the houses, uh, big bites were taken out of them by the storm surge. It was a disgusting, horrible sight. And after Hurricane Andrew, I will never want to take those conveniences for granted again. But I'd like for us to remove all of the man-made creation and all of our material possessions from that view and look at the beauty of God's handiwork for just a moment. When I came out of the house this morning, I saw the beautiful blue sky with a gorgeous sun placed in it, shimmering its light down upon me. I saw the mountains, the rivers, the streams, the trees, the valleys, and the meadows. We also know that we have oceans and deserts. We have the moon, the twinkling stars, the rain, the lightning, and even the rainbow. And we hear the sounds of birds singing. We see the wonder and the beauty of the wildlife and look upon all of the creation in amazement. And I don't know. I love to camp. And I love to be in nature. And I love to be, to use a little Abner phrase, I like to be stupefied by what I see. Uh, I am stupefied by God's creation. I know that when scientists go into God's creation with an open mind, they start seeing there's a creator involved. And when we see all of this, we see the humanity whom God created to worship him. I want you to look next to you, the person sitting there, and really think about God literally made this individual. I'm talking about all of y'all. God made each and every one of us. And each and every one of us, he has a purpose. We see the humanity that God created in each and every one of us. He gave us that spark of divinity that we might recognize him when we see him at work. The human body is so very complex, and yet God made every facet of it. 
How many of you know today that the Bible is the infallible, indestructible, and inspired work of, word of God? When you pick up your Bible, you're picking up a miracle. When you read the Bible and compare it with your science, and you realize that the God that created the science also wrote the Bible. And they do not disappoint. They do not disagree. It says in Genesis, going back to the very beginning, that the earth was without form and an empty waste, and darkness was upon the face of the very great deep. The Spirit of God was moving, hovering, brooding over the face of the waters. It says the earth was without form. Those words, without form, in the original text are granted are, are translated from the Hebrew word tuhu, which literally means nothing. So there was nothing there except God. So what Genesis really tells us is this, that God stepped out into nothingness. He stood upon nothing. He looked at nothing. And from nothing, he made everything. There is a sky above us which he created from nothing and placed it on nothing. The stars, suns, and moon which he created from nothing, he hung them on nothing. He formed the earth and everything upon the earth from nothing, from the dust of the earth which he created from nothing. He created man in his own image and breathed into humanity the breath of life and caused man to become a living eternal soul with only the substance of the word, God stepped into nothing and he made everything. So in this world of potential chaos that's coming, have we forgotten that while we can do nothing, God can take our nothing and make something wonderful. Jesus said, I assure you, Anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come upon the judgment that has passed from death to life. I heard another joke one time. I didn't pass it through my wife, so you'll have to trust me on this one. A couple of scientists were working hard with dust and somehow through the manipulation of radiation and adding minerals and all the things to it, they were able to create life. And one of them prayed to God and said, God, look what we've done. We created life just like you. And he went to bed that night and he had a dream. And he, he saw God and he told God, see, we created life. And God said, okay, next time bring your own dust. <laughs> No matter what will happen this year, you have a destiny with God that cannot be taken away from you. I will confess to you that I'm 66 years old, if you won't judge me for it. And for me, it's taken a long time to get here. I hear people that are older than me that are saying, you're a child. You're just a child. And sometimes I realize in the light of eternity that it took almost no time for me to get here. God has done a wonderful thing for us. He has issued a pardon for us through the sacrifice of his son. 
I remember one time my ship was the USS Vogue FF-1047, fast frigate, excuse me. And we were stationed in Mayport, Florida. And we're coming back from a Mediterranean cruise. And we'd been away from the United States for seven months. And we were told by our captain that we would have a four-day pass and unlimited mileage, which meant that wherever we wanted to go in the four days, go there, but come back in, in 96 hours, you could do it. And uh, all of us had cars, and they were stored in a parking lot in Mayport, Florida. And I don't know how many of you have been in Florida and seen what happens over seven months, how much pollen is in the air, and how much cars attract that pollen. When I got back, my blue car was a dirty yellow. And uh, I took out my ice scraper, and I had to use the ice scraper to get the pollen off my windshield. And I worked real hard on it, and I got it off so I could see. And then I went to my back windshield, and I scraped and scraped and scraped and got it off there so I could see. And I got in my vehicle, and I took off. I left Mayport uh, Naval Base and got on Highway 20 and proceeded to drive down that Florida panhandle. And many of you know, driving the Florida panhandle from the Atlantic to the tip of that panhandle, it feels like it takes forever. So I'm driving along. I'm fat, dumb, and happy. I've had my first McDonald's in seven months. <laughs> and as I'm driving, I, I notice I passed a highway patrolman. And I looked at my speedometer, and I was good to hook. Uh, that's parachute talk. for it's, You can jump out of the airplane with your parachute. So I was good to hook. I was okay. And within five minutes, this guy was on my back with his, with his flashing lights on. And I thought, what did I do? And I went through all my automotive sins that I might have committed. And I couldn't think of a single one. But I wasn't going to make this guy mad. So I pulled off on the right side of the road. And the highway patrolman, Florida highway patrolman, nice fella came up to me and uh, told me through the window, uh, give me your license, give me your res registration, which I did. And he took it to his car and he ran me, you know, who I was and all that. And then he brought back, you know, in five minutes he came back and he handed it back to me and said, uh, uh, Mr. Williamson, I'd, I'd like you to step out of this car and, and join me in the back. I said, okay. So I get out of the car and I walk to the back and he points at my license plate he said, would you kindly read that to me? And I had to sheeplessly confess that I could not. The pollen was so thick on it, I could not read it. And so the police officer handed me a paper towel, and he poured some water on it, and he got me to scrub it. And I scrubbed it so it was legible again. And he said, anything you can do to make my job easier, I would appreciate and I explained to him that I had just gotten back from a med cruise and uh, had all that pollen on my car and I was anxious to get back. And as soon as I got to Jackson, I would, I would have it scrubbed down and detailed. And he said, okay, and he gave me a warning and sent me on my way. And, uh, you know, for me, that incident, as I thought about it, I realized that our sin covers us up just like that dirty yellow pollen. And that stuff will sneak up on us. Sometimes I wish that we could have the eyesight to see the stains 
of sin upon our own, our own lives, that it would be visible, that we know each and every one of the sins that's still clinging to us. And if we did, we would be appalled. How many of you like Cheetos chips? You know, you like those, those Cheetos chips. And, and you get in there, and, and you eat those chips. And as you eat one packet, and you look at your fingers, and you go, oh my gosh, you've got Cheeto dust all over, the, over your fingers. And the only people I ever knew that could eat Cheetos without getting that dust on their fingers were my Japanese friends, because they used chopsticks to eat the Cheetos. But for most of us, we've got sin that clings to our lives. And because of that, no one living can say that we are sin-free. For all of us need Jesus as our Savior to be granted eternal life. In 1833, everybody likes my history lesson. In 1833, there was a man by the name of George Wilson who lived in Pennsylvania. And him and a friend decided to rob the mail wagon. And as he was robbing the mail wagon, people knew who he was. And so he got the valuables out of the mail and he took off with his friend. And he was captured later on. And when they convicted him, they said, We have convicted you of robbing the U.S. mail. And because you pulled a pistol and a knife on the postman, you put him in danger of losing his life. And so we sentence you to hang. George Wilson had a lot of friends that he didn't know about. And some, one of those friends knew the president of the United States, who was Andrew Jackson. And they contacted Andrew Jackson and they appealed on his behalf. And President Jackson issued him a pardon. But to everyone's surprise, George Wilson was so remorseful and ashamed of what he had done, he refused to accept the pardon and decided to take the punishment, to be hanged for his, for his crimes. And everyone believed that he had to accept the pardon. And so back in the 1830s, this trial went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court took months mulling this over. It was something that no one ever expected. The court ruled eventually that if a prisoner does not accept the pardon, it is not in effect. The court ruled a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential. And delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it is rejected, we have discovered that no power in this court exist to force it upon him. We are sinners. We are guilty. All of us deserve our punishment. I deserve mine. You deserve yours. And God has issued us a pardon. He has not waited for the day of judgment to issue us this pardon. But for God's pardon 
to be in effect, it must be accepted. Our passage today in John 15 encourages us to seek the will of God in our lives. And the very first thing that God has for us is, it is God's will for each and every one of you to be saved. It is God's will for each and every one of us, little child to 90-year-old. And when I say 90-year-old, I think about Colonel Arlen Sanders, the founder of KFC, who accepted Jesus when he was in his 90s as his Savior and Lord. The pardon that God has given us is not into effect until we accept it. I mentioned to you that in Southern Baptist society, uh, back in Mississippi, there are some people that belong to church not because the church has saved them, not because their friends are in church and have encouraged them, not because the pastor has come to their house and explained salvation to them. They're there because they believe they ought to be there, that they ought to be in church. And they believe they ought to be there because that way if something bad happens to them, someone's going to care. And some of them believe that if they pass away, at least people will come to their funeral. And that's church for them. That's all it ever is. And that's all it ever was to me as an 11-year-old boy until it meant something. Until God cracked through that hard egg shell of my conscience and reached me. This passage of scripture tells us, number one, that don't be afraid of what's coming. Because we're nothing. It's only through God that something happens. And so if you're concerned about what's about to happen to us, spend time on your knees praying. Let God make something out of what's about to come. In the last three years, I could spend the next hour talking to you about what God has done in this country. Blessings, amazing things that the press will never tell you about. People coming to know Jesus, prisoners convicted of crimes who have accepted Jesus in the prisons and have turned their lives completely around. Men and women who've discovered new ways to minister and they're doing it now and they're making it plain, the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone who will listen. I remember Tom Hudson preached a sermon one time that said, the only Bible that most people will ever see is you. The only Jesus they'll ever meet comes from how you know Jesus. Each and every one of us have a place. Every one of us has a plan. But only God's will for us truly matters. We are sinners, we are guilty, we deserve our punishment. God has issued us a pardon, and it must be accepted. It is His will that we all be saved. Will you obey His will, accept His salvation, 
and then let him guide you for the rest of your lives. God's will is the only will that you should listen to. May you listen to him forevermore. I promise you, you'll not regret it. Let us pray. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, I boast of you today and what you accomplish. Lord, for I am nothing, and yet I've seen miracles happen through my ministry. And my ministry, you created. And Lord, as people are hearing your word out there today, Lord, let it guide them to someone who needs to know Jesus. And Lord, if there's somebody in this auditorium that needs to know Jesus today, let him or her come forth. Let us share with them the best news that they will ever hear their whole life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.